This is Father's Day. So because it is Father's Day, every guy that's a dad today, I want you to stand up right now. Come on, dad, stand up. And I want you to keep standing. Guys, y'all, y'all keep standing. This is our one day, okay? So, so keep standing. Now, while you're standing, read a story about a, a high school student that was so excited. He was trying out for a part in a play, and he rushed home, and he told his dad. He says, I made it. They cast me as a husband. He said, son, go back and tell that director you don't want that. Tell him you want a speaking part. All right. Hey. <laughs> now, stay standing, because I don't, I, don't I don't want your wives to say, hey, come on. Let me give you a good word. You've heard the statistic before, but you need to hear it again. Whenever a child comes to Christ first, 2% of the time, the the family will follow. When a mother comes to receive Christ first, 15% of the time, the family will follow. And whenever a father receives Christ first and then begins to lead the family, 93% of the time, the family will follow. Men, that's a huge responsibility, but if you're a man, you love that. You want that to be on your shoulders. And so, men, I encourage you, make that decision, be that strong leader, and your family will follow. Y'all be seated for just a moment. We're glad to have you here on, uh, on Father's Day. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 23. 2 Samuel chapter 23. On June 15th, 2003... Exactly 11 years ago today, I preached a message on the mighty man for God in this passage. As I was preaching this message, my 83-year-old father was lying in a hospital in Atlanta, Georgia. About a week and a half earlier, he had been admitted because he had double pneumonia. And as an 83-year-old furniture salesman, as they were admitting him to the hospital, he looked up at the nurse and he said... I have an appointment in Huntsville tomorrow, so I can only stay the night. Well, it turned out that it was a little bit more serious than that. In my 50 years of living at that time, I had never once seen my dad in the hospital due to illness. And so he was the healthiest man I'd ever known. And our thought with the rest of the family is that he would just get some antibiotics and in a while he'll just be back out and and back to doing life. It was about um, a day after I preached this sermon that I got a phone call from my sister, and she said, Danny, they have put him on a respirator, and it's not looking good. You need to get over here. And so it was on that Tuesday when I drove over, sat with my mom in the waiting area, and then had the opportunity to go back and see my dad. So I'm in a position I'd never seen him before because he was helpless. He was laying there in bed. He was on a ventilator. He was helping him to breathe. He couldn't talk. And um, I realized that this is probably my last opportunity to, um, you know, to talk to him. And uh, mom had said, he got your Father's Day card, and I read it to him, and, and he smiled. And, and uh, you know, I took his hand, hands that were always real strong, strong hands. He was a, uh, he was a jazz drummer along as a salesman, and these drummers, you got to have strong forearms and hands and all that stuff. And... and uh, and, and I, I'm just talking. I'm just telling him. You know, just recounting some memories, thanking him for what he'd done in my life, and just telling him I love him. And uh, in those few moments, you know, there's not much of a response. Get a little hand squeeze on there. 
And, um, and she told me, you know, I'll see you tomorrow. I went back out. Mom was kind of tired. So we drove back home. And at 2 o'clock that morning, got a phone call. Said Dad had, had passed away. And um, I, I remember um, people talking about how difficult it is for your first Father's Day when your father has passed away. And how, how difficult, how difficult that is. And there's some of you here today that this is your first Father's Day without your father living. And it, it's, it's, it's pretty hard because all through your mind, you begin to think about uh, the things that you did that you wish you hadn't done, uh, the advice that you wish you had heeded, but that you didn't, um, actions that you did that, that you regret. Uh, things that you wish you'd ask them, questions about their life that you never asked them, and you get all these kind of regrets that that grow up in you. And um, but then there comes that point to where it hopefully shifts into just the wonderful memories of the time that you had, you know, with your father, and how you can be thankful for those uh, for those times. And um, I kind of had a reliving experience this year because we moved my mom to a senior living facility. And whenever you do that, it means you have to sell the house and clean out all the stuff that's been there for over 55 years in that, in that one house. And in that house, there are a lot of pictures that we had never seen and uh, things that, you know, just like at your house, just stuff a bunch of photos and drawers. And so um, I guess I'm always looking for something to kind of remember my dad by and so I found this picture that I'd never seen before and I want to place this picture up here now with this picture over here David is there a way to move it up a little bit I mean is that as, is that as fit as it can be you see like right right th- yeah see that right there that is not my dad <laughs> just wanted to let you know He is someone's father, and it is Father's Day, and we will say no more. I saw this picture, and I said, thank you, Lord. Then, now, if we're walking through here, do you think that's my dad? That? 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 That's my dad. Now, he's a salesman. He was a drummer. Drummers are cocky. Where are you, Clay? Drummers are cocky. He's always told me my whole life, the drummer makes the band. He drives the band. Uh, if the drummer's bad, the band's bad, Danny. The drummer's the main guy, okay? That's the way he lived life over here. Now, if you notice my dad, he's got his hat just like he likes it over there. Other guys got their coat wrapped up there. Not him. He's got it in a hang-up bag. It's not going to wrinkle. Looks good. Got it over my shoulder. I feel like I'm in charge. You notice the dorky Pan American airline bags that they've got over here? In fact, you could drop it down a tad, um, David, so they can see the airplane. Just drop that photo down just a little bit. You see, this is Pan American Airlines. And see these little dorky bags? Not my dad. See his right there? You can't hardly see it. His is folded up and it's right at his side because he says, I'm not having a dorky bag in my picture uh, over here. But what stayed with me was the smile right here. What stayed with me is the smile. And I said, 
This is a picture I want to keep in my mind because he had a great smile and he was an encourager uh, to folks. But you see, that's a photo that I can hold on to. But my dad didn't make a decision for Christ really until he was about in his 60s. He was a church-going dad who took us to church but really didn't know Christ. But in his 60s, he had a salvation experience. And the picture I remember is he jumped on those Tim LaHaye left-behind books, and he read it with a vengeance. And there's a picture in my mind of seeing those books and seeing his Bible that he was reading and to see a change in my dad's life. That's some legacies that are left. And so for us as men, we get to choose a legacy that we will leave. Don't worry about somebody else writing your legacy. You write your own legacy. And we have been talking about the hall of fame of the heroes of faith. And today, there's a passage of scripture that has a hall of fame of the soldiers. And it's David in chapters 23 and 24 talking about his soldiers. The guys that stood by him, that fought with him, that were the best of the best called them the mighty men. Now there was a census that is taken in chapter 24 and it determines how many fighting men are in David's army. Do you know how many there are? 1,300,000 men in that army. Put your arm around this. 1,300,000 men. And out of that 1,300,000 men, there is a small elite group called the 30 called the mighty men. And he talks about this in chapter three. And if you read through it, they cover 37 names. That's because some died and others took their places, but there was the 30. That's pretty good. But then there's another group and it's called the three. Within the 30, there's a group called the three. That's the best of the best. You name it. These are, the, these are the guys. These are the closest to him. These are the ones that did some outstanding deeds. So men, if we want to be a mighty man for God, why don't we today look at the three? We'll take just a moment. We'll look at the three and then see how that relates to us as men and as dads. Okay? Are you ready? Chapter 24, it will start in, uh, start, uh, chapter 23, excuse me, it will start in verse 8. And here's your first point. A mighty man for God overcomes even when the odds are against him. A mighty man for God overcomes even when the odds are against him. It says here in verse 8, these are the names of the mighty men whom David have. Josheb Bathshebeth, uh, He was chief of the three. He wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. Now understand, this is in war. And as they're fighting a battle, this guy, he doesn't have grenades. He doesn't have a bazooka. He doesn't have a machine gun. It's just him and his spear and his sword. And in the midst of a battle, it says that at one time he killed 800 men. Now, I'm just going to put myself on the battlefield for just a moment, and I'm going to do a step out and tell you I think the odds were against him. And so with all those odds that were stacked against him, 
He overcame those odds, and he became the chief of the three. Now, see, there are a number of men here today that you feel like that the deck is stacked against you and that the odds are against you to be a mighty man and the odds are against you to be an all-star dad. Some of you would stand up and you would say, I was not brought up in a Christian home. I don't have that spiritual pedigree that these other guys do who need to be great men and great dads. I've done some sordid things in my past. It could have been an addiction uh, to whether it's pornography or drugs or alcohol. And I've had those battles in the past. And so because of my past, uh, I could never be an all-star dad or be a a mighty man over here. I've got a limited educational background. I've got a a limited job uh, opportunities uh, there, there are things that have gone on that, that in my past that are, that are, that are bad that, that will just keep me from, from doing this. In fact, some may even say, well, you know, I, I tried marriage. It didn't work. We got a divorce, but now I'm in a second marriage. And so because of that, does that mean that I can never be this all-star dad? I can never be a mighty man for God? And just on and on and on. And what we find ourselves doing is we're making excuses as to why we can't be a mighty man and why we can't be a great dad, rather than coming to God and say, God, take me as I am and use me to be this mighty man for God. But it's so convenient to look for some excuses and to see some guy out here that's really hitting a lick and you say, well, you know why? It's because this, 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 and I don't have that. Listen, what God wants to do is to take you where you are and to begin transforming you to where he wants you to be. And every man here can be a mighty man for God. Every man for here can be that all-star dad. When God had a plan to take his Hebrew children, over a million of them, from bondage in Egypt and to lead them to the promised land, he was looking and he picked out one man that he would and trust that leadership too. And his name was Moses. One of the most amazing individuals in all the Old Testament. And if you're sitting here thinking, well, Moses, yeah. Do you know who Moses was? Do you know that when God came and appeared to him, who Moses was? He was an 80-year-old man who stuttered terribly, who had a criminal record because he murdered a man in Egypt and he lived on the backside of the desert. And God said, that's exactly who I want. That's exactly who I want. Would you pick an 80-year-old stutterer to lead your people? Would you pick an 80-year-old man who'd murdered someone in Egypt to say, hey, go back over to Egypt? Would you pick a man who's not from the big city, but they're from the backside of the desert? Guess what? Moses did exactly what you and I did. He came with excuse after excuse after excuse, and God overcame every one of them. And bottom line, he says, Moses, you're the man. Pick it up and let's go. You are not prepared right now. I will prepare you along the way. And so men, a mighty man for God is one that's going to overcome even when he feels like the odds are stacked against him. Second of all, a mighty man for God keeps fighting even when fatigued. Mighty man for God keeps fighting even when fatigued. He says, and next to him among the three mighty men was Eleazar, the son of Dodo. Now, let's just stop for just a moment right here. Now, Eleazar had to overcome something as a child. Are you thankful that your dad was not named Dodo? Do you think what it's like? You remember, you know, 
some of the most nerve-wracking days of school was the very first day when they call your name out. Do you know that when they're going through the roll and then they call your name and say, what would you like to be called? You ever notice that? See, I had to go through this every day of elementary, high school, college, every day, every year I had to go through this and it was horrible. Charles Wood, Charles Wood, it's me. I go by Danny. I'm sorry, you do what now? I go by Danny. Where do you get Danny from Charles? I said, my middle name's McDaniel. Drop the Mac, drop the L, you get Danny. (laughs) And to show you how quick my teachers were, they went, explain that again? (laughs) I said, yes, that's what it is. And I thank my mom constantly for making me a Charles McDaniel Jr. on there. Well, for he, at least they didn't call him Dodo Jr., okay? (laughs) Oh, Dodo Jr., so good to have you in our class. Or when they called his name, Abraham here, Stephen here, Timothy here, Eleazar here. Your dad's Dodo, isn't he? Yes, thank you for reminding me. Okay, Eleazar. So first of all, he's the son of Dodo, but he overcame that. But look at this. He was with David. And when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle and the men of Israel withdrew. How would you like to go to battle and you take your army with you and all of a sudden you come up and all these Philistines come and you look around and everybody withdrew and there's just Eleazar and there's David. And he rose and he struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clung to the sword. It's Some have said it's almost like your hand, you know, when you get real tight, your hand cramps. It's almost like his hand has cramped, just stuck to the sword, but he's so weary he can hardly even lift it up. He was fighting such a strong battle. You ever been there, man? You see, there's such a fatigue being a dad. You know that? It's hard work. And it's unrelenting. You're fighting temptation. It's like every day you're fighting temptation. Every day you're trying to stay out of compromising positions. Every day you're trying to balance the priorities of God and family and job and community service. Every day you're trying to make your marriage work. You're trying to meet the needs of your spouse. You're trying to be a good dad to your children. You're trying to find somewhere in your calendar for your kids and spend some time with them. You're trying to continue the discipline on and on. And it's fatiguing. And the mighty man of God is the one that keeps fighting even when he's fatigued. Even when he's fatigued. Hey, you know, the older I get, what I realize, every generation thinks that they were tougher than the generation behind them. You ever notice that? You see, I'm 60. So we thought that the group behind us, or those Gen X, is that what that's called? Or whatever, the 40-year-olds or so, we thought they were a bunch of softies. Guess what? You talk to some 40-year-olds, they think the millennials are a bunch of softies. See, everybody thinks the one after them is is soft. But I will tell you this. We're in a a day in in our country that there's a whole lot of whining going on and a whole lot of excuse-making and a whole lot of entitlement expectations. And men, that does not need to be a part of our character. We don't need to be the whining excuse-makers. We need to be the ones that get out and get get it done. And you say, but I'm just so tired. I don't care. 
you keep fighting. And you know why you keep fighting? Because the next part of that verse, look what he says. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. Did Eleazar win that victory? Not at all. What did the writer say? And the Lord brought about a great victory. What that means, men, is when we are fatigued, when there are times and we're ready to throw our hands up and just say, I'm done with all of this, God says, you continue to fight the fight because I will be there with you and I will help you to garner the victory. And when it was all done in that passage, they were explaining who Eleazar was, but who got the the glory for it? It was the Lord because it was the Lord that brought about a great victory victory. You keep fighting the fight. God says, I will give you the strength to prefer, to preserve. The word Lord is the word Jehovah. The word Jehovah God. It means he's unchanging in his nature. He's unchanging in his promises. Look what it says in Isaiah 40, 31. It's one of the familiar verses and it's one of the ones that we'll be preaching uh, over, over this next summer, in this summer. Isaiah 40, 31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. That's what you're looking for. Renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I put the hope in the Lord. He'll give me that strength to keep on going. And that's not just to give you physical strength. Because sometimes we think, okay, it's just, it, it, it'll get me, whew, I can catch my breath and I can be physically stronger. Because look what it says in Ephesians 3.16. I pray that out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. He will strengthen you where? In your inner being. What God will do is through his power, he'll give you the strength in your inner being to say, you got to keep on going. And once I make that decision in my inner being, then it helps me on the outside to be stronger, to keep on going. Because the battles are fought in here in the heart. There's a battle of the heart. And Satan and God, and, and Satan's battling you, and God's power is there to, to defend and to strengthen you. And so men, even though you're fatigued, you got to keep the fight going. And you just think about Eleazar. Everybody else was withdrawing. But he stayed the course. He stayed with David. And he fought the fight. The word that has stayed with me for, I guess, close to 20 years, ever since I read this, came from Joe White. Joe White. He's the guy that's the founder of Canacuck Camps. Just a man's man. Great guy. Any book you can get of his, you want to read it. And he said after he was married and they had children, he talked to his father-in-law and he asked his father-in-law, he says, what is the key to parenting? What is the key to parenting? And we're going to tell you next week, okay? No. What is the key to parenting? His father-in-law looked at him and gave him one word, relentless, relentless. He says, every second of every minute, every minute of every hour, every hour of every day, every day of every week, every week of every month, every month of every year, you are a dad. It's relentless. You never stop it. You got to be relentless. And I thought about that and I constantly think about that word. Because there are times when our kids do things and go directions that just, we shake our heads. 
And there are times when they decide that they want to do different than what you have taught them and what you feel God's word has taught them. And when those times happen, there will come some opportunities where you just want to throw your hands up and say, I'm done. I've done everything I can do. I hope you ever felt that way. I've gotten that way at times. This is it. Done. And it always circles me back to the parable of the prodigal son. And I think about in that parable to where the focus is really on the forgiving father. That what that son did, not only did he look to his father and he says, I want to take a third of my inheritance. I want to take the inheritance and take it now. I want to take my one third and leave. But when he did that, he publicly ridiculed his father. He ridiculed him in that community. He disrespected him. And as he went off, this was not just a family thing. This was the whole community thing. And that father was completely disrespected, completely embarrassed by the choices that his son made, and his son went out. And if you follow that that parable, it says that once his son realized the error of his ways, and he looked up and says, it would be better to be a servant in my dad's house than to be what I'm in right now, he started coming back home. But when he came back home, his father was there almost like on the front porch waiting for him. And when he saw his son a, a far distance out, he ran to him and he embraced him. Which is a picture of our Heavenly Father embracing us. And I think about that constantly and I said, what would have happened if that father had said, hey, enough of that. I'm not doing anything with him. And when his son tried to come back, his dad was not in any kind of heart position to bring him back in. It would have destroyed him and taken away his hope. And so this word relentless just drives home with me. And hopefully for every one of us. Because our kids will not always do everything that we think they should do. And rather than just throw the hands up, just got to be relentless. Every second of every minute. Every minute of every hour. Every hour of every day. Every day of every week. Every week of every month. Every month of every year. It's just relentless. You got to be there to love on them. Doesn't mean you don't discipline them. Not saying that at all. I'm saying you got to be there for them. And you got to love them. You say, why? Because that's exactly what God did to us. Because every one of us was a lost, stinking sinner. And we realized the error of our ways and we turned. And a loving Heavenly Father was right there. And He says, You know, the sacrifice my son made on the cross, He made it for you. I welcome you into my family. Be born again. Be adopted into the family. Come on. I'm here for you. I'm on the front porch looking for you. Now, mighty man for God. Mighty man for God. Okay? Number three. Mighty man for God makes a stand even when others sell out. He makes a stand even when others sell out. It says, and next to him was Shema, the son of Aji, the Herorite. And the Philistines gathered together at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils, and the men fled from the Philistines. Here we are again. Everybody fled. But he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked a great victory. Don't you miss this? It was the land. 
You see, in the book of Leviticus and the book of Deuteronomy, it says that the land that God has given to them is God's land. You, Israel, are the caretaker of this land. You are the protector and you are the caretaker of this land. And when the Philistines came and they said, we're going to take this land right here, everybody got scared and they ran away except for Shema. And he stood because he says, this is God's land and I will make a stand. I will make a stand. He defended it. He struck down the Philistines and the Lord worked a great victory. Men, if you're going to be a mighty man for God, it means you have to make some stands. Peer pressure doesn't end when you get out of college. Peer pressure happens to us all our lives. We feel it different ways. There'll be social functions we go to to where we may compromise what we, what we believe or so. I know there were times, and I may have told you this, that, uh, hey, when I was early with the phone company, went off on some nine-week nine week training, uh, I could have made all kind of money for guys to pay me to say, hey, on the go-home weekend when the wives come up here, don't tell them that we've been sleeping around with this person, that person, this person, that person. It's crazy. The different pressures that you've got that, that come along and, and the opportunities to compromise, you've got to stand and say no to those type of things and say, no, God, I'm going I'm to stay on your word and stay with my commitments. All through this world, we're encouraged to uh, compromise our beliefs. We're encouraged to be able to compromise our morals and our standards. But you want to think about Shema because he was a man who stood. He took his faith out of a Sunday morning experience and he put it into a real world experience. And he said, it's not just sitting in the pew on Sunday morning checking off a box. It is what I'm going to live out and I'll live it out today and each day that stands out before me. And again, what happened? It says, and the Lord worked a great miracle. God's the one that got the victory. He did this incredible victory. And so what God is looking for is somebody to stand in that gap. He says, I'll provide you the victory, just stand in the gap. But too many of us are like the rest of the army to where we're withdrawing. I don't want want to be a part of that. I don't want to fight that. I don't want to rock the boat. You got to make that stand. And, And, you know, for us, there are so many things that are happening. We get the attacks from our culture. We get assaults on our time. We have the allure of our careers. And you take all of these things and they begin to, to pull us this way and pull us that way. And we don't make the stand. We need to be like Shema and we need to make the stand. And when you make the stand, you say, I will not sacrifice my wife and kids on the altar of success. I will not be silent and let today's culture redefine and destroy marriage and destroy the family. I will not stray away from the principles of God's word and give in to popular opinion and political correctness. I will stand. And when you stand, then God will bring a great victory. And it starts right there at your house, right here in the pew, right here in your life to say, I'm tired of playing games. Let's make the stand. And the reason that there are only 30 mighty men is because a lot of people don't want to make that stand. And the reason there's only just three is because a lot don't want to make the stand. Everybody else is selling out. Why don't you sell out? Well, don't sell out. Be the man that makes the stand. And you stand for your wife and you stand for your kids. And God's going to provide a victory for you when you do that. Just like Shema did. He's looking for the mighty man that will stand when others sell out. And the very last thing is this. A mighty man for God, 
mighty man for God will demonstrate love even when it demands sacrifice. Mighty man for God demonstrates love even when it demands sacrifice. Amazing story. Verse 13. And three of the 30 chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam when a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. Now, if I had my little trusty map here, I could show you where that was. Let me just walk you through it. If you had Bethlehem was here. So Bethlehem is here, and if you went up north, there's a valley of Rephaim, and, and then there's this cave of Adullam. Now, David was from Bethlehem. This is where he grew up. This is his old stomping grounds right here in Bethlehem. It's about 12 miles away. The Philistines have come, and they've set a garrison around Bethlehem. He's hiding out in a, in a cave. So some of his mighty men came. They came to be with him during that time, and they're just sitting around, and they're talking. And it says here, and David said longingly, kind of wistfully, you know, just been in conversation. And he says, oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. And then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines. They drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and they carried and brought it to David. I just kind of think about it. In today, the forces have taken over Vestavia. They've occupied Vestavia. I, as your leader, 12 miles away in the northern part, northern part of the city. We're kind of holed up in a Motel 6. And, um, and we're just sitting around. And I, and I said, you know, it's been a long time since we've been able to be back to Vestavia and I remember 17 years living there and you know what I really like some Milo's sweet tea wouldn't that be great you get some Milo's sweet tea it just kind of tastes good and then three of you go let's go do it three of you travel 12 miles. Now that knocks out a majority of the congregation right there. But okay. But three of you, you travel 12 miles. And as you travel this 12 miles, you begin to come down 31. And you're trying to slip through the different garrison forces and, and make your way around. All of a sudden you get by the bowling alley and you, you slip around the bowling alley past the Hardys. And, and, and then you're getting ready to, to cross over that street. And there you see where Milo's is. And you work your plan. And you slip around and it's locked so you Climb up through the drive through window or something. You break it out. You jump in there. And you, and you, get, the, you get the cup. And you get the ice in there. And you look for the sweet, 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 sweet tea over here. And you put sweet tea in there. And you fill that thing up. Then you got to get out. And you got to push your way around. Go back another 12 miles. You have traveled 24 miles. And then you bring me my Milo's. Mighty man. Thank you, sir. Thank you. So then all of a sudden, you've got your Milo's sweet tea. Just put lemon in it? Yeah, with lemon. 
him with the lid so he wouldn't spill a drop while he came back that next 12 miles and a straw to drink from. So David receives this. It's like he receives his Milo sweet tea, his water. And what he does, which is incredible, you just travel 24 miles to do this, right? And you bring this to him, and what he does is he takes it and he pours it out. You thought there was some in there, didn't you? You were really getting nervous. But he takes it and he pours it out on the ground. You just traveled 24 miles, risked your life just to give him some water, and he pours it out. And you know what he says? He says, I cannot even drink the water because you risk your life for me. All I can do is pour this out as a libation or a sacrifice to the Lord. You guys have done the ultimate. And I believe this was the event that cemented the three. The other things they did, great stuff. This is what did it. Because what they did was they demonstrated their love for him even when it demanded a sacrifice. He says, this was so precious, I am unworthy to even drink of it. Men, the Bible says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. How much did God love us? How much did Christ love us? He went to the cross to die for our sins. It means that as men, mighty men of God, it's not just that we bow up and fight the battles. It's that we lovingly, we sacrificially love our wives. And we demonstrate that love to them even when it demands sacrifice. You know, I I couldn't help but as I read this story, these men went 24 miles to bring a cup of water to David. At night when we go to bed, our wives will say, will you go to the kitchen and give me a glass of water? And we go, oh, all the way to the kitchen? Oh, my gosh. You know? Give me a break, man. You demonstrate your love even when it demands sacrifice. And when that happens, that puts you in that group as mighty men. A man who loves his wife, a man who loves his children, a man who makes the stand, and even though you may get fatigued, you just keep fighting the battle. Even though you think the odds are against you, you just become an overcomer. Even though everybody else sells out, you make your stand. And all throughout these verses, it says, and the Lord provided the victory, and the Lord provided the victory. If you will do that, depending on God's strength, then you can truly be that mighty man. And whenever you step away from this world, and your wife and your kids are going back through old memories of their husband and their dad. I believe they'll find some pictures that will capture who you are. But then they'll also have these indelible photos within their heart of a godly man that led us correctly. And we just thank God for that. Let's be that man. Let me ask you to bow your heads.
close your eyes for a moment. Father, I thank you that we have a day called Father's Day that we can just focus on us as men and the uh, challenges that we have. And Lord, I just, I thank you. I thank you that you put those challenges before us. And, uh, and I pray that we willingly accept that. As this day, hopefully is a celebration day for, for families and with their dads. It's our prayer that, uh, that if you've touched the heart of any man here today, it may have been men that were here at the, the men's retreat this weekend, the Gridiron Conference. It could be some that could have been walking through some difficult valleys. And today, Lord, you just touched their heart. We pray that, um, that this could be the day that some of them need to just stand up and say, I'm ready to get right with you. Ready to get right, right with my wife, right with my kids, right with my business associates. Father, I'm just ready for this to happen. Lord, the strongest thing that some of these men can do is just to show that. For some, Lord, it maybe not just a walking down here, but it may be reaching over and taking his wife's hand and even with the squeeze, she may know. She may know what he's talking about. may have an opportunity to talk later today. May your Holy Spirit work through this place and speak to our hearts. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.